This is a podcast of Forest Lake Baptist Church Sermons. If you'd like to know more about our church, visit our Facebook page or our website at flbc.org.au. We hope you're blessed by this message. This morning the Bible reading comes from Mark, chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. When they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and told them, Go into the village ahead of you. As soon as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it and will send it back here right away. So they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied by a door. They untied it, and some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? They answered them just as Jesus had said, so they let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their clothes on the road, and others spread leafy branches cut from the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. He went into Jerusalem and into the temple. After looking around at everything, since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Thanks, Karen. Karen is a member of our church leadership team and is also a gifted Christian counsellor. We're very blessed by her ministry. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. And a couple of announcements before we get into the message today. On the way in, hopefully you received one of these. It's a sign-on leaflet for Dinners for Eight. That's coming up on the weekend of the 10th to the 12th of March. We want everyone to be a part of that. That's going to be a great weekend as we get to know each other better. After the service... Today, actually after both services today, we're going to have a baptism membership seminar. So if you're part of our church for a while and it's like, yeah, it's time for you to become a member, come along to one of those seminars. Or if if you're a Christian who is not yet baptised, then come along and we'll talk about baptism. Coming along to the seminars doesn't commit you to becoming a member or being baptised, but it's a first step. And so where we're going to hold those is in the room behind the stage here, as you go past morning tea, there's a room uh, in there air-conditioned, very nice. Come on in there afterwards and we'll go through that uh, together. Next Sunday we've got Invite Someone Sundays. That's something we do on the fourth Sunday of every month. Who should you invite? Anyone. Where should you invite them? Anywhere. When should you invite them? Anytime. The point is not who's going to invite you, the point is who can you invite? Who can you invite to show Christian community and just reach out to someone else? Uh, Also, if you're new with us today, if you'd like to know more about our church, if there's anything in the service to which you would like to respond, use the online response card. Uh, You can use the QR code on the screen. We'll leave that up after the service. That adds you to the weekly email. We'd love to add you to that. And that's where all the news of the church happens. And now let's pray together. And before I do that, I just want to say also, we're going to pray this morning for Judy Gray. Judy's mum passed away this week. And we're going to pray pray for Judy and her family. Heavenly Father, thank you for the words of that last song, that you are holy. And 
so often we just rush on in life without stopping to think that you are indeed a holy God. And not just holy, but thrice holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. So Lord, I pray for all of us today that we would have a sense of your holiness, that we would be in awe, that we wouldn't just rush on, But instead of making you about us and what you can do for us, we would stop for a minute and just be in awe of the God who is holy. There is none like you. The heavens do declare your glory. Who else could have formed creation the way you have? Who could have conceived of a sky like we have today? And yet if we get an afternoon storm today, you conceived of that as well. You are completely beyond our comprehension. And we are quietened before you. Oh Lord, our world is so busy. Help us to be quiet and to sit in awe at the, at the one who is thrice holy. Father, thank you that though you are holy and though you cannot look upon sin, you sent your son to die for us that we may be called your children. And as we open your word today, Lord, we open it with a sense of joy and yet trepidation, knowing that these are the words of almighty God. And so we don't do it lightly, but we do it with joy because we believe that you're a God who still speaks to your people today. Father, we pray for your church today. We pray for those in our congregation today who are struggling. We pray especially for Judy and her family with the loss of her mum. We pray for Peter Howes and his family with the funeral for Andrea on Tuesday or tomorrow. Father, we pray for all those who are struggling, who are grieving, who are unwell, that you would extend your hand of grace and healing to them. And Lord, more than that, we pray that you would use us to be your hands and feet. That we don't just pray, Lord, we ask that you would move us to reach out. That when we talk about every person being important to you, that we would show that. We don't just pray for our church, Lord. We pray for the churches of this community, of this nation and this world. And we praise you that over the course of today, all around the world, there will never be a moment today when your people are not singing your praises. That the ch your church never sleeps. And we look forward to the day when we will see you face to face. When every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Oh Lord, you are good. And as we open your word today, we think about Jesus being king. We've sung about it, but, oh, Lord, there are times when we do not live as though Jesus is king. We've not loved each other as we ought. We have not loved you as we, as we ought, and we're sorry. But, oh, we thank you for Jesus that our sin is wiped away. Father, speak to us today. Your children are listening. Like kids sitting on the knee of their father waiting to hear what he's got to say. We listen to you today. In Jesus' name. Amen.
Today we return to the Gospel of Mark. It's kind of our meat and three veg for us as a church. We have Easter series, we have vision series, but we keep coming back to Mark. We started two years ago in Mark, and I thought it would take us about 18 months. At the rate we're going, maybe by 2025 we'll have it done. But this is the problem with Mark, right? Like he says so much in a short amount of time, you've got to take it in a little, little, little bits. And today we come to one of the most um, famous passages in the Bible. If you've been around church for a while, you'll, you may have heard of Palm Sunday. It gets celebrated every year. It's the passage that Karen just read for us. When Jesus came riding into Jerusalem in, at the beginning of his last, last week of his life, and we see the imagery, we see the art, and it's amazing, and there's people, and they're waving branches, but it's very odd. It's just a very odd scene. If this is a king... Why doesn't he have his own donkey for a start? He has to borrow a donkey for a start. What sort of a king has to borrow a donkey? The mob don't even get who he is. In fact, John tells us when he records the same story, the disciples were confused. They're sitting there when everyone's waving palm branches and everything, and they're going, hmm. He's on a borrowed donkey with a motley mob. The religious leaders are plotting to kill him. And then as we see at the end of that passage, he walks into the temple and goes, yeah, I'll come back tomorrow. (laughs) What is going on here? It doesn't make sense. And yet it is actually the way this doesn't make sense. It's the, the elements that are unexpected about this passage that show that he is actually not just a king, but the king. The king we worship as king of kings and lord of lords. The one whose name is above every other name. The long promised Messiah. The one who would deliver his people from their sin. And so in the first six verses we really see actually, though it seems very strange, we actually see his authority, the king's power. First of all, it happens where he says to his disciples, go in and get a donkey. And if someone says to you, what are you doing with the donkey? Just tell them the Lord needs it. Now, commentators through the ages have debated this. Did Jesus have this prearranged? Or was this just some sort of divine providential authority? I think it's option two. Because there's nothing in the passage that suggests that he had it prearranged. And I'll try to imagine what that's like. Because as they go in, the disciples are like, so we're just going to grab a donkey, right? We're just just getting a donkey. Yep, yep, and right, okay. There's a donkey. And old Joe over here says, Oi, what are you doing with the donkey? Lord needs it. (laughs) And they go, okay. Like, it doesn't make sense. But what's happening here, and Mark has a way of telling us things without having to say them with words but with imagery, is way back in 1 Samuel when the prophet Samuel was warning the children of Israel against getting a king, one of the things he told them a king would do was if the king wanted a donkey, he will just take it. This is actually a statement of authority. The Lord, do you hear that? The Lord, we hear that, well, he's talking about Jesus, right? Those people don't know he's talking about Jesus. The Lord needs it. It's actually the king's power. Kings take the animals that they want. Kings could go around and say, that heifer looks amazing and it's going to make a great rump steak. Give me that. And people would go, okay. The king says he wants the donkey. The king gets the donkey. 
But then the second thing that happens that really, I think, shows that this is the king is that it is a donkey. See, kings came in on war horses. When a new king came into town, he didn't come into town on something looking like that. Actually, the thing that Jesus went in probably didn't look like that, but that's okay. The reason it was a donkey was Zechariah 9.9 says this, written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Not just a donkey, but a baby donkey. And what is Jesus coming on? This is the king. Not the king that the world was looking for, not the king that the Jews were looking for, but the king that God had promised. And here he comes. And yet when he comes in, we're expecting a king's procession that's going to be amazing. And yet what we get is really bizarre. Again, it's just bizarre. I had to look up where is Beth, it's hard to say that, Bethphage, where is that in relation to Jerusalem? In my mind, I've always had the idea that the journey into Jerusalem, the, the triumphal procession, would have lasted like half a day, right? So I looked up, you can see where Bethphage is now, you Google Maps it, and I went Google Maps from there to there, walking, 35 minutes. It's a 35 minute stroll. Why? Why is this so important? Because three things happen in verses 7 to 10 that again show us that this is the king. The first of all, they throw their coats on the donkey. You think, well, what's the point of that? They're just trying to make a donkey more comfortable for Jesus. Well, actually, in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13, there's a guy who becomes king named Jehu. When Jehu becomes king, the commanders to show this is the king throw their coats on him. And that became a tradition through the ages. When the, there was a king, you would throw your coats over the animal. You would throw your coats on the ground. Why? Because it was a statement of, you are allowed to tread on me. You are allowed to step on me because you're king and I'm not. This is a statement. But there's a little word here that's very easy to miss. Many people, it says in verse 8, spread their clothes on the road. And that road is not just any road. The road that went from Bethphage through the valley, uh, down the Mount of Olives and through the valley and up to the gate would have ended up at a gate called the Golden Gate. Not the Golden Gate Bridge, different Golden Gate, because this is in Jerusalem. And the Golden Gate was historically believed to be the place where Messiah would come. One day when Messiah would come, the anointed one, the king would come, he would come through that gate. And this was so hard, believe, this was so hard widened to the Jewish people that when the uh, Muslims took over Jerusalem, one of the first things they did was board up that gate so no one could go through it. In fact, they, plant, they put a graveyard right in front of the gate because they said a holy Jewish person won't through, go through a graveyard of Gentiles. They didn't realise the king had already come through a few hundred years earlier. He'd already come through. And that road, that, that road was expected to be the way the Messiah would come. And how extraordinary to think that when Jesus was over that last week of his life, it was the Mount of Olives where he would sleep every night. And every day for six days, he was going back and forth on that road. The road of the king. It seems so simple 
and yet it's kind of finished off as this is who we're talking about. This is the king. When the crowd apparently unknowingly start to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. That was actually part of Psalm 118, which made up a a group of Psalms. And I know we're looking back into the Old Testament a lot, but we have to because this is full of imagery that points to Jesus being Messiah. Things that were written hundreds and a thousand years before he came. He's fulfilling all of them while he's sitting on a donkey. But this is how powerful Jesus is. He's fulfilling prophecy sitting on a donkey. Well, that's powerful. And the crowd are singing this from Psalm 118, which made up a group of psalms called the Hallel Psalms. The Hallel Psalms are psalms that are still sung by Jews today on the the high feast days, the high pilgrimage days. And as they would make their way up to Jerusalem, they would be singing these songs. They were already singing these songs, but now they turn to the one about whom the psalm was written a thousand years earlier. And they're actually singing it to him. Let me read you some more from that Psalm 118. Open the gates of righteousness for me, and I will enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the Lord's gate. The righteous will enter through it. I will give thanks to you because you have answered me and have become my salvation. Remember this next bit. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord. It is wonderful in our sight. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Some of you are singing this song in your head right now. Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is good and has given us light. And they are singing and they are singing. And it's about Jesus. And here he is. This gentle man. Riding on a cult is actually the point of all of human history come down to this moment and this man because the king has come home. There's a wonderful passage in Ezekiel chapter 11 where God shows his displeasure at the Israelites and the prophet Ezekiel in a vision sees the spirit of God lift up from the temple and leave the temple precinct and head east. What was east? The Mount of Olives. And it rested on the Mount of Olives. And he is sad. The Spirit of God has left us. We've broken covenant. And yet in Ezekiel chapter 43, he gets a second vision. When the Spirit arises again from the Mount of Olives in the east and goes along which road? And goes through which gate and settles again in the temple. The king will come home. This is it. I get goosebumps when I think of this. This is hundreds and thousands of years of prophecy. This is the whole of God's ordained plan of salvation coming down to this moment and this man riding on a donkey. Jesus is Lord. The earliest creed that the Christians had was those three words. Jesus is Lord. 
And for the sake of saying that phrase, Christians went to the stake. Christians were thrown to lions. Christians were displaced from their towns. Christians were pushed out of their communities, all because they claimed this phrase, Jesus is Lord. All through human history, no one has had the impact on this world that Jesus has. There have been kings come and go. There have been empires come and go. But there is one Jesus. There have been times when it looked like the church was going to fall apart completely, but Jesus is Lord. And then there was the moment that no one expected when the king went to a cross. And in that moment when it looked like it was all done, call it off, it's done, it, it's finished, was the moment of the king's greatest triumph when he became our conqueror king and then he rose again. Oh, friends, this is our Jesus. This is our Jesus. And just when you think as he's riding in Jerusalem and the crowds are singing and there's cloaks on the ground and there's noise and the donkey doesn't know what's going on, all of a sudden we get this complete anticlimax in verse 11. He went into Jerusalem and into the temple and after looking around at everything, since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Literally, he walked into the temple and went, Right, let's go home. It would be like on the day of King Charles's coronation, they have the big parade, they get west to Westminster Abbey, and there's no one inside, and Charles goes, I'll go back to Buck House, eh? Let's go back. Why? Why, were, why was there no crowd looking for him? Where were the religious leaders? The religious leaders were planning to kill him. Where were his disciples? We're told the disciples were confused. But Jesus wasn't turning and walking away because he was disappointed and given up. This was the calm before the storm. Because the next day he would come back to overturn the tables. And a few days later, he would come back and be tried. And a day after that, he would be crucified outside the city walls. And that, at that point, the temple itself was fulfilled in Jesus. And here is the good news, friends. Yes, the king has come. Yes, he came on a donkey. Yes, he came riding in. But here's the good news. Yes, he has come, but he's coming back. He's coming back. And he might have come into Jerusalem the first time on a donkey. Next time it won't be on a donkey. Revelation chapter 19 tells us it'll be on a white horse and it'll be powerful. And he won't come meekly. Next time he comes in power. And next time people won't be uh, saying things they don't understand. Next time when the world sees him, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He may have come once in obscurity, but next time no one will miss it. Our Jesus is coming back. Now there are two problems and there are two promises with that. The two problems are, in our sinfulness, we don't want another king. I've already got one, me. I don't want another king telling me how to live, but the reality is he is king and we are not. 
But there are so many times as Christians as well where we, we acknowledge that Jesus as king, but we're not going to actually do what he tells us to do. The king says, forgive, right? But I hold a grudge. The king tells me to be reconciled, but I'm not going to talk to that person again. The king tells me to love one another and to serve, but that's going to cost too much. The king says, deal with that sin in your life, but I enjoy it too much. The king says, make me the head of your home, make me the focal point of your home, but actually my kid's happiness is the focal point of my home. But if Jesus is king, if he is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. We don't want to give up our kingship. The second problem is we have fallen for the lie of our age that everyone is actually their own king. The problem is if everyone is king, there's no one left to bow the knee. If everyone is king, there's no one left to bow the knee. And we fall into the trap of being told this thing that will make me king, this thing that will make me most free will actually be the thing that traps me into servanthood. This thing that I want to, this sin that I want to get into that makes me feel free, actually I end up becoming a slave to that sin. The desire to be seen, the desire to be popular so that I have freedom actually makes me slave. They're the two problems. But opposite the problems are the promises. And the first promise is this. Jesus is a good king and he is worth submitting to. Whatever we submit our lives to other than Jesus will ultimately let us down, but Jesus does not let us down. I just heard this week about the, in the earthquake in Turkey and there's been a lot of criticism about the government's over there, the government's response to it, right? The president of Turkey came out this week and said, we are taking note of anyone who criticises our response. That's the world's kingship. I've got the power, I've got the position, and I'm not giving it up for anyone. And anyone who threatens that position, I'm coming down on you like a ton of bricks. But our King Jesus is a servant king who laid down his life for you and me. That's kingship. Whatever is competing in your life as being king over Jesus will ultimately let you down if you follow it. Jesus does not let us down. The second promise is this. We've already said it. He's coming again. Whatever trials we might face for Jesus now, it's okay because Jesus is coming again. And all the enemies of him will be swallowed up. Jesus is king. What does that mean for us as a church? It's easy to sort of talk in these platitudes, right, and to say, Jesus is king, we'll go, yeah, 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 that's good, Mark, good sermon. But what does it mean? What does it mean for us as a community at Forest Lake Baptist? I think what it has to mean for us is this. We have to move beyond the platitudes of pointing people to Jesus. We have to move beyond the platitudes. We say we want to point people to Jesus, that's great. How do we do it? We do it life on life. We do it getting to know one another. 
We do it by getting, being real with one another, by being in genuine community together so that we know one another well enough to say, hey, I am struggling in this area of my life. Jesus is not king in this area of my life and I can trust you enough to know that you will help me walk through that. That's church. Making Jesus known isn't just by yelling it from the rooftop, so that's important, that's good. It's by life on life. And together we sing the Lord's song. That's our phrase for the church this year is singing the Lord's song in exile. But how do we do it? By life on life. By doing ministry together, by being in life groups together, by, by being close and going beyond the platitude. Because that crowd at that first Palm Sunday had no idea what they were singing. They were singing songs they'd sung for generations, but they had no idea that it applied to this man who was on the donkey. We know. We know. And some years ago, we had a baptism of a young guy. He'd come from a non-Christian home, and he'd become a Christian through the youth group here, and he got baptised. And we gave him a Bible, and his family hated the fact that he'd become a Christian. And one day they took his, one of his parents took his Bible and threw it in the bin. He physically got in the bin and pulled it back out again. Because they're the words of my king. And he was able to show them how important Jesus is to him. I want to go beyond the platitudes. I want to go beyond the platitudes and sing together that Jesus is my king. He's our king. He's the king of Forest Lake. He is the king of this world. And one day the king is coming again to reign. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to go beyond the platitudes. Help us to go beyond just knowing Palm Sunday. Help us to go beyond knowing the significance of the donkey. Help us to go beyond the head knowledge and to truly do life together as a church so that we can see Jesus formed in each one, that we can point each other to Jesus and say, actually, he is what's most important. He is king. He is king of this church. He is king of our families. He is king of Forest Lake. And, Lord, we read this passage and we see that Jesus came meekly on a donkey, but one day he is coming again. And so often we run our lives as though Jesus is never coming again. But we proclaim today Jesus is coming again. Help us to live like it. Help us to do community well as a church where together we are pointing people to the risen Jesus. To be real with one another. To be bold with one another. And to love one another. Oh, Father, we need your help with this. And we thank you that Jesus is a good king. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.